Our home teams are having great seasons. So is it wrong to pray for a win in sports? How about for an election? And speaking of elections, what's the takeaway from this year's elections? And what did we learn? COVID is still around. How will this impact our holidays? And Catholic Charities of the Diocese of St. Petersburg celebrate 75 years. All this and more coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. It's good to see you again, Bishop. John, it's always good to be with you. Before we get into the whole election thing, last time we recorded, the Rays were in the throes of a World Series. Our Bucks are now 6-2, and two, and uh, you know we've won the Stanley Cup. I know a lot of people were in their living rooms and at locations around praying for a victory. Is it wrong to pray for a win? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good question, and, and you're right, John. I, I've seen people praying for— I mean, they're doing the sign of the cross and yeah. everything. <laughs> Lots of praying going on during these games, but um, it's a good question. I, I would say that it's it's not wrong to pray for sporting events in terms of wanting to keep the players safe and healthy and pray maybe that they perform to the best of their ability, but actually praying to God that one team or your team actually wins— I think is probably above uh, what God might be concerned about here in this world. Sure. You know, and I know a lot of people were are superstitious. I talked to one guy who he did he wore the same shirt to every game during the uh, playoffs and because they were winning. I'm talking about the lightning here. And that becomes superstitious. Some people would say that things in our faith hold a little bit of superstition. How do, where does superstition and faith and devotion intersect? Sure. Well, I can share with you, uh, just recently I was watching a Bucks game on, on a Sunday afternoon, uh-huh. and we had gotten behind, and then all of a sudden, you know, started coming back and actually took the lead. And the group of guys that I was watching the game with were convinced that if we moved from our places exactly. where we were sitting, <laughs> that, that we were going to, you know, start losing again. Right, <laughs> so, right. I'm the so same it's, way. it's a very normal thing. But um, we don't believe in superstition, you know, we don't believe in th- that type of thing. You know, again, we hope and, and ask that the, the teams perform as best as they can, but I don't think that where we sit or what we wear or uh, you know, the, 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 the meal that we have during the game, that those things make a difference. But some uh, athletes also are very superstitious. Sure. I, I know I've heard about some professional golfers that if they're playing well, they'll have the same meal or go to the same restaurant every single day, you know, as long as they continue to play well. So it's, I guess, a human thing, but in terms of faith, it's not something we believe in. But I think that's a, a good point that you raise because they don't want to break the routine. An athlete will get into a routine so it makes them focus a little bit better on what is to come in the pregame ritual. And I guess the same could be said because some people would say, well, if I pray a nov- the first Friday novena nine months in a row, I'm granted this. Or if I wear the brown scapular, I'm granted that. It's not so much about the wear, it's about the the devotion and the the prayerful routine that we need to be in. 
Right. And, and prayer, of course, is always good and, and we should pray, but we shouldn't be so attached to, I have to do this three times or I have to say this prayer five times. I mean, we have devotions of our faith and, and prayers that we do say, and they do have formulas to them, but we shouldn't think if we somehow make a mistake or maybe we miss a Hail Mary during the rosary that, that the whole rosary it is inv- invalid or right. it doesn't count. You know, that's not what we believe. I, I think that's where there's the scripture where Jesus talks about people just babbling versus really giving the heartfelt prayer at the right time for the right reason. You know, I see it all the time on Facebook, on social media, pray for this person or that person who is suffering, and we really should be praying for them, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a certain formula per se. No, I mean, for example, as bishop and as priests, you know, we receive a lot of requests from the faithful to, to pray for something or for someone, and I always accept those, and I and I certainly do that. What I tend to do is, because my memory is not always the best, so somebody might, when I'm out visiting a parish or at a dinner or an event, somebody might ask me to pray for something or someone, and I'll say, sure, but then I might forget. Sure. <laughs> so what I do is during my Mass, I offer those prayers up during the celebration of the Mass for anyone that has asked for a prayer, that God might bless them and, and, and grant whatever it is that they're, they're needing. So as we record this today, uh, it's the Wednesday following the election. And I know that people were literally praying to saints. I mean, I saw that on Facebook. I got personal emails from people asking for prayers for the election. Personally, I was praying for just a, the first time I've ever done it, a safe election, that the outcome, that there would be no violence. And as we record, a superstition, knock on wood, <laughs> we haven't had any so far. No, we, we haven't. And, and I share that concern as well, John. I, I wasn't sure because, you know, in our world today and in our country specifically, it seems that people choose to express themselves in very violent ways by destroying property or by hurting or injuring others, rioting. And we've seen that this year, you know, quite often, even here in our local community. You know, we saw it several months ago. But that's not how we should react to things, and that's not how we should express our disappointment if our candidate didn't win or something that we were voting for didn't get passed. That's not how we handle things. We're called as Christians to handle them in a very peaceful manner. We don't know who won as of this recording, but what is the takeaway? What can we learn as a nation and as individuals about ourselves and as our country as we move out of the election season and into a more settled time? I I think time will tell what the lessons of this election are. What we do know is that our country is is very divided at the moment, and I hope that whoever wins the election will make it a priority to try to unify the country, to unify our nation, uh, to bring people together, because our elected officials, whether it's the president or our, our congressmen and women or senators, they're not just called to serve those who voted for them. They're elected to serve everyone, whether whether somebody voted for them or not. And I would hope, and I and I pray that the again their top priority will be to try to unify uh, a very divided nation. You know, some of the issues that came up in the election, specifically, you know, for Catholics, we were looking at the pro-life stance on the issues, and that will continue to be looked at. Immigration, uh, all of those bullet points that the USCCB and the faithful citizenship uh, documents put out. Um, And those are things that we need to hold our representatives accountable now to. 
Well, of course, if they campaigned on a specific platform of, of being pro-life or, you know, doing something about immigration, these are things that we do need to hold them accountable for during their term in office. And if they fail to live up to those promises, then obviously we'll have a say in that at the next election. But I think for us as Catholics, as we've talked about before, it's important that we know the issues and we know our faith. And if we don't, that we do the research that's, that's appropriate to be able to be an informed voter in light of our faith as Catholics. I think the country also learned that we can't always trust polls. That's very true. I, boy, it does seem at least early on here as the results are still coming in that the polls were very off again this year. Right. And I, I don't know why that is. I, I have to be honest, I've never received a call uh, no. asking me who I'm going to vote for. But I'll also say that when my phone rings and I don't recognize the number or if it's from somewhere that I, I just have no connection to, I generally wouldn't answer it. And, and they don't usually leave a message. Uh, do you think it was positive that we had more mail-in ballots this year? I mean, more people participated. Yeah, I think that's a great thing, that the uh, voter participation was up significantly this year. And I think the mail-in ballots and the early voting uh, was really due in a lot of ways to COVID. You know, people, just the thought of waiting in long lines with uh, with crowds or, or with a large group of people, you know, there's a fear about doing that. So I know I voted by mail this year and was able to go onto the uh, website for the supervisor of elections here in Pinellas County to check that my ballot was received and that it was recorded. Good, so yeah. I, I felt good about that. I think the other thing, too, is that we might see some, at least I hope, see some reform in how the votes are tabulated and counted. Because here we are as we're recording, there's a bunch of states that are still trying to open the mail and receive the mail. Some of them are just getting to that today. Uh, Florida was kind of way out in front in well, terms of, you know, of being able to process those ballots before the election and then just release the numbers on election night. So I think uh, Florida has been criticized a lot over the years for the way we've handled elections. But this year, I think we got it right and maybe could serve as a model for other states to follow. Say, I hope you're listening, Pennsylvania. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, we, we mentioned health care and, and pro-life and so forth a moment ago. And here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg, one of our institutions that has been serving really longer than the diocese has been in existence is Catholic Charity, celebrating 75 years of serving uh, the Tampa Bay area with all kinds of services and just providing hope for people. Amen to that. You know, what a blessing to have Catholic Charities here in our diocese and, and really throughout our country. I think most dioceses have uh, Catholic Charities and there's a national Catholic Charities USA, which assists with larger disasters and needs around the country. But you're right. I mean, the Catholic Charities in our local communities here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg, they serve the poor. Uh, when people have a need for some financial assistance, maybe to, to pay an electric bill or, or their rent. You know, we, we assist with housing needs, uh, specifically for those who are homeless. That's part of Catholic Charities as well. Feeding the hungry, just providing assistance to those in need. So it's been a, a great blessing to our diocese, as you said, for, for 75 years. Well, I know Foundations of Life will be having an event uh, as this airs will be tomorrow in uh, in Tampa at Higgins Hall. You can participate to that. I think it's sold out already for tickets, 
but you can still participate online. And then uh, on uh, November 20th, uh, Catholic Charities is also having a, uh, a virtual event to service all, not just the pregnancy centers, but all of the services of Catholic Charities. Yeah, so this year, because of COVID, the Foundations of Life Gala, which is um, uh, usually held at Higgins Hall at St. Lawrence Parish, wonderful event, is going to be a kind of a hybrid event. So it's going to be a, a very limited in-person event, uh, but then a online uh, kind of a virtual celebration and, and opportunities for individuals to support the important ministry of, of our life ministries. So, which, you know, we have um, pregnancy crisis centers here in our diocese. Uh, uh, we do ultrasounds. We provide moms uh, with clothing and supplies for their babies. And that's important, John, because if we're going to preach a pro-life message and we need to be there to support men and women when they make a decision to, to have the baby but are, are having some difficulty or trouble. So we encourage them to support life and to bring new life into the world. But then we also need to be there to walk with them on that journey. Sure. And then the other event is a virtual event. We'll be on Facebook, and that's going to be on Friday, November 20th from 6 to 7 p.m. So to look at all of these events and the good works that Catholic Charities does, just go to ccdosp.org. That's ccdosp.org or on their Facebook at uh, Catholic Charities, Diocese of St. Petersburg, and you'll be able to find out all the links. And if you need services, they're certainly there to help you out as well. Speaking of services, uh, there was a beatification of a priest up north, Father Michael McGivney, who founded the Knights of Columbus. Yeah. So uh, as you said, he's the founder of the Knights of Columbus, and um, he has had one miracle attributed to his intercession. So that's why he was beatified. We'll be waiting for a second miracle uh, to have him canonized. But I know the Knights are very excited about about that development. And and now we have uh, somebody that we can ask for their intercession, you know, another friend in heaven, a, a saint to help us in our journey. So I don't know a whole lot about Father McGivney. He was a priest back in the 1800s. And was able to help widows and and their children by helping to collect funds, and he created what he called the Knights of Columbus to help those that were struggling to get by, and that organization is still going today. Yeah, he was a, um, a, a kind of a simple parish priest, but uh, as you said, had a, a special interest or affection towards widows who might be having financial difficulty. And so that was um, some of the thinking behind the start of, of the Knights of Columbus. And um, today that, that ministry continues. Uh, the Knights, uh, part of their things that they offer are insurance, you know, uh, policies. And, and of course, part of their ministry is still helping those in need. So, uh, but yeah, Father McGivney, now blessed Father McGivney, was just a simple parish priest who, again, exercised extraordinary virtue in his, in his ministry. And I know he serves as an example for all of our parish priests around the diocese when they're looking to get ministry started. Oftentimes, it's coming from a parishioner. I interviewed a parishioner not too long ago who went to their pastor and said, I'm thinking about starting a, a cancer ministry outreach. And Father said, okay, go for it. And off it goes. And that that's what happens a lot. A lot of people are moved by the Holy Spirit to start these kind of programs. I know when I was a pastor of uh, my last parish before I was made a bishop, had somebody, a very faithful parishioner, came to me and said, uh, Father, you know, we need a Bible study here in our parish. And I said, well, 
I said, I agree. I said, why don't you lead it? There you go. <laughs> and uh, I, the person had not really led a ministry before or really studied the Bible too much, but we used the Bible t- uh, timeline. It was called by Jeff Cavins, and right. they led a, a large group of parishioners to into studying the Bible. So Everyone's called to that, and, and I'll say this as a parishioner to our bishop here. It's always edifying. We know the the pastors are busy, and we know that you're busy, but it is always edifying for the pastor to stop in at least once or twice during the the year to uh, lend his support and participate in in the ministries there at the parish. Yeah, that's part of our ministry as priests, even though we might not be leading the particular ministry, uh, we are called to be present to it. And as you said, an occasional uh, drop-in just to say hello and see how things are going, see if the ministry needs anything is certainly a good thing for, for priests to do. You're a knight. I am. I'm actually a fourth degree knight. Now, what is that? Well, there's uh, four different degrees of knighthood for the Knights of Columbus. And when I was a seminarian, I received the first and second degree. And then when I was a priest, I received the third and then finally, when I was made a bishop, uh, I guess I'm kind of an honorary fourth degree <laughs> okay. member. So, but uh, but yeah, no, I, I have been a knight ever since I was in the seminary. And one of the great things that the Knights of Columbus do is to support and pray for seminarians, and I always appreciated that very much. Sure, COVID is on the rise. At least what we're seeing in the media, and I've known of a couple of people who have come down with it recently. How's that going to impact? holidays coming up as far as our churches go? Sure. So we continue to have a pandemic here in our country, and I monitor the numbers here locally in our diocese pretty much on a daily basis. And things have been stable, although seem to be creeping up just a little bit. Yeah. So we're not, not out of the woods yet. Uh, but yeah, when when the holidays come, thinking about Thanksgiving, but specifically Christmas, you know, we usually see larger crowds coming to Mass. So what we're advising our, our pastors to do is to consider having additional Masses or alternate locations. So maybe have a mass going on in the church and then one in the parish center or social hall at the same time for like an overflow situation. Because we don't want to relax our safety measures and our protocols. We want to celebrate the mass, but we also want to keep everyone safe. I've, I've heard rumor of some parishes maybe even moving outdoors, weather permitting, so that people can spread out a little more and still participate as a, as a family. That's another great idea. And the weather, of course, here is beautiful now. So uh, hopefully it will be at Christmas as well. And I know um, I was speaking with the rector of our cathedral the other day, and they are going to have an outdoor mass in their courtyard at the same time they're having mass in the cathedral. Okay. I had a, a letter come in from a parishioner, and I promised I would ask. So if the church has a sign on the building that says, all are welcome, please be respectful and wear a mask, Yet someone comes in, does not wear the mask. What's the usher or the pastor supposed to do? Yeah, so just like when we go into Publix, for example, I I know I was there the other day doing my shopping, and I think everybody I saw in Publix has a mask on. If we're going to do that in Publix, we should also do that in church. If somebody comes into church and they don't have a mask on, you know, one of our ushers or hospitality ministers might ask them if they need one. So we would probably have to have a supply of them available and then just respectfully ask that they wear it out of charity uh, for others. Uh, If there's a reason why they can't wear it because they're allergic to the material or or something of that nature or because of breathing difficulties, then um, obviously we can try to make accommodations for them to be socially 
socially distant from other people. But it really is an act of charity, John, and, and I would ask our listeners to to please consider that, even though you may not consider it to be, uh, think it's important, others do, and others have health issues and concerns, and we want to try to be charitable and keep each other safe. On the morning that we recorded last time, uh, the Holy Father came out with a statement regarding same-sex attraction, and you've released a video since then kind of addressing it, and I don't want to necessarily rehash that, but the, the Secretary of State, I think, came out from the Vatican, said something about it. Can you elaborate? Sure. So for our listeners, uh, you may have heard that there's a a new film out called Francesco, and it's about the life and the ministry of our Holy Father, Pope Francis. I haven't seen it yet, but I, I did see the quotes which were attributed to the Holy Father, in which he seemed to endorse civil unions for those who are um, uh, same-sex couples. Of course, it raised a lot of eyebrows, and and the media kind of spun it to suggest that the church was changing its teaching with regard to marriage. It's not. The church's teaching has not changed on marriage. Our Holy Father, Pope Francis, has always affirmed that, that marriage is between one man and one woman for life and open to the transmission of life. The clarification which came out from the Secretary of State at the Vatican basically noted that the quotes which were used in the movie were taken out of context. They were from an interview which was done over a year ago, I believe, in in Mexico, I think, and that they just kind of picked these quotes but kind of pieced them together to suggest something that in reality the Holy Father didn't say. There's a difference between when the Holy Father's doing teaching and, frankly, when you're you're teaching versus when – you and I maybe are giving an opinion about a certain social issue that doesn't necessarily mean it's the official teaching of the church. And I think that's where sometimes the the secular media, as well as some Catholic media and individuals, can get mixed up a little bit and confused. Yeah, so the the Holy Father, Pope Francis, has been very accessible to the media, and we specifically see that when he's returning from one of his pastoral trips around the world. Uh, usually on the plane, he'll fly with journalists from all different countries, and uh, on the way back to Rome, uh, he'll have some time with them where they can ask him questions. But just in general, when he's at the Vatican, you know, he does meet with the press, and we have a Vatican press office as well. But sometimes the Holy Father, just in answering a question, will say something which uh, might be misinterpreted, or he might actually say something that he didn't intend to say. Right. Uh, but it's not like an official teaching of the church. When the Holy Father speaks infallibly and is intending to define a new teaching of the church or define a teaching, believe me, we'll know about about it because it's a very formal process, and it's usually uh, then done in writing as well as the Holy Father saying it. These are like uh, encyclicals or um, papal uh, letters kind of thing. Exactly, or when a, a dogma is defined, like the Immaculate Conception. But that's pretty or the rare, assumption though. of our, la- And that's why I say when something like that happens, you know it. You know about right. it because it is a very formal process. But, but something like same-sex attraction or uh, ordination of women or, you know, something like that, is, that's not really a dogma per se, is it? 
Well, no, not really. I mean, the Holy Father hasn't defined anything there. I right. mean, our church teaches that, for example, um, an all-male priesthood is part of the deposit of faith. It's part of what was revealed to us by Jesus himself, and it's a tradition that we maintain in our faith. But no, I mean, the, the Holy Father doesn't always intend with everything he says sure. to try to define a new teaching. Yeah, and and I think, again, it goes back to, I think, the takeaway here is not rushing to judgment on many of these issues, but instead taking them for what they are as far as just almost water cooler talk, kind of. You know, I mean, sometimes it's a little higher than that, but... Yeah, but for example, uh, early on in, in the Holy Father's pontificate, you might remember he was quoted as saying, who am I to judge, right? And that was widely reported. And again, people kind of used that in a way that suited their own needs or their own interpretation of it, but they didn't take it in the whole context of what he was saying at that time. Sure. So again, when we hear things in the news, whether it has to do with our faith or just general news, we should always kind of take it with a grain of salt and uh, make sure that we verify and, and, and take the time to research things. Right. One last topic that I want to bring up, it's coming up on Veterans Day on November 11th, and it's a time when we recognize those men and women who have given their lives in service of our country, and I know we have a lot of them here in the Bay Area with McDill Air Force Base and and so forth. Uh, any any words for those? Well, just um, as an American, I mean, I, we should be filled with gratitude, right? For those who have so bravely served our country that we might enjoy the freedoms that we do today. As you said, it's an opportunity to recognize those who served in the armed services and uh, did so very faithfully and courageously. You know, we just ask the Lord's blessing upon them and, and upon all who are currently serving in our military today. We we have a priests in our diocese that serve as chaplains, and so we keep them in prayer as well. Yeah, well, as we wrap up our program today, can you lead us in our prayer for our country and for those that serve our country? Of course, let us pray. God, our Father, as we move past the election. We pray for peace and we pray for unity here in our country. Pray that your spirit may guide us and and guide our elected officials as we go forward, always seeking to do your will and, and to do the common good, that we may serve those who have entrusted to us the powers that they have and may do so in a in a very responsible manner. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.